I love when I get interrupted by the automated message, but we're back. We're going to talk some position battles. We're going to talk all kinds of things today. I've got Scott Salomon on the line with me today. Uh, we're going to be joined later by Cam Underwood. Scott, how you been, man? Doing okay. Getting ready for uh, football season to start. You know, there's a lot of exciting things going on, and you know, with the fall coming, there's a lot of big expectations in the air, not just at UM but all over the country. And you know, it's a time when every team is is undefeated, and every team hasn't been exposed yet. And uh, it's it's just a good time of the year. Hasn't been exposed yet. That's the key word. <laughs> but uh, on that theme, we're going to talk. Uh, some games football. We're going to try and keep it positive. We won't be all negative here. Um, but uh, let me just jump off right, at, right, at, right in the beginning and uh, ask you, um, what, what are you most looking forward to as a camp opens this week? Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the young players evolve because if they're going to have any shot at any success this year, it's going to be based on the young talent that came in uh, for this year being their their freshman year. I think that Miami lost a lot of talent last year, and they didn't really have a lot of depth. I'm looking to see the position battle on the offensive line, uh, to see what Art Keo can do to pace it back together again. Uh, you know, as you know, we lost Taylor Cadbois, uh in addition to the players who lost in the NFL, and I think that uh, that's going to be the telltale of how the season unfolds. You know, the more time the bright guy has to stand in the pocket and find an open receiver, and the more the uh, line can open a hole for running back to score through, I think that will tell uh, a lot about how this about how this young team is going to fare this season. And I see we're we're joined here by the fashionably late Cam Underwood. So, Cam, are you there with us? Yeah, I'm here. Cam, let me throw the same question at you. What are you most looking forward to this week as team camp opens? Um, I just want to see the players flying around again. You know, I want to see this uh, increased camaraderie. You know, um, it's an intangible thing, yeah, but uh, that's one thing that I'm looking at. Uh, and I caught the end of uh, Scott's answer. Um, so, yeah, I want to see the development of uh, some of the players. Obviously, I want to see the development of the offensive line. I, uh, it's going to be kind of hard because we're going to be looking at the individuals more than the collective group because we don't have that set group of five. Uh, but I want to see how those players are individually developing, uh, and I want to see how the defense as a whole kind of uh, has come together and if everybody is executing their job as uh, we've been told that they are and, and we're buying into the system, and if there's been any tweaks to that system, then maybe the defense, which is the more experienced side of the ball on this year's team, will be, uh, you know, effective and, and make plays going forward. Hey, Cam, let me throw a question at you. I was going to wait till a little later in the podcast to do this. I'm going to give Scott a chance to answer this, too. Um, a lot of battles still to be won. We're going to get in them position by position. But heading into camp, who will be your starting five on the offensive line if you had to pick somebody, had to pick five? Um, starting five on the line right now for me would be Darling, um, Gall, McDermott, Isadora, and uh, Linder. Linder in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, Linder. I, I meant Linder. Yeah, I meant Linder in the middle. So, I mean, I went from left to right. So, uh, Darling at left tackle, Gall left guard, Linder at center, Isadora at right guard, 
and uh, McDermott at right tackle. Scott, you got the same five, or you got any changes? I got the same five. I just think that Isidore is questionable. I think that he's going to be the one with the most to prove because he's the one coming back from a shaky season. Uh, I don't think he played particularly well last year. I think he, he's the biggest question mark on the offensive line. I think you might see one of the freshmen step up. I think that uh, Tyrese Lewis might have a shot to uh, make his mark uh, on the offensive line. And, and I think that uh, Brendan Lofton also might have a shot to uh, get some additional playing time as well. You know, it's interesting. Neither of you guys mentioned Jahair Jones. And if I had to pick a five, that would be my one variation. Uh, I, I did the offensive line preview, and I actually had Darling on the inside at guard, and I got a, you know, you know, Keen fans out there all over Facebook, social media said, you got to be crazy. He's going to definitely be one of the tackles. And I kind of reevaluated that, and I, I, I tend to agree. I, I kind of felt like Jahair Jones might have been more of a natural tackle and that McDermott, you know, has the highest upside. But i got to see, if Jahair can play guard, I think he'll crack his way into the starting five, even though it's hard to project what Jukos do. But, uh, yeah, right, that, that's, that's, that's the – yep. And that, that for me is where – the question for Jahair Jones comes in, in that we have not seen him play at this level. It's the same way uh, with the freshmen. Do I think that Tyree St. Louis has probably the highest upside of any offensive lineman on the roster? Yeah, but he's coming out of high school, so I can't necessarily say right now, okay, cool, he's going to be one of our five best. Same thing with Jahair. Haven't seen him at this level, can't put him in there right now. Yeah, I, I like Tyree St. Louis a lot, and I don't think there's any chance he gets redshirted. Um, you know, my uh, – untrained eye, let's say, you know, I'm not exactly Art Kehoe or anything, but I watched uh, his highlights and his film out of high school, and it looks a lot to me like Darling. And then you go back and look at what Darling was able to do as a true freshman, and it, it you know, it gives me optimism that, you know, Tyree can step in there and minimum and provide depth, if not steal something, you know, at some point and become a regular. Um, the guy I'm really excited about on the offensive line since we're on this topic is Linder. Um, I went back last year and watched um, the entire Virginia Tech film um, and, and he was making, you know, some of those Duke Johnson runs were directly related to blocks. He was making five yards downfield. So I really like the move of him to center and uh, I, I'm pretty excited to see his development. Uh, I'm scared about the tackle position. Uh, Casey was a former five-star recruit, but in the three games he played, he didn't exactly dominate right off the bat. And even though Darling, you know, looks like a heck of a player, you know, it'll be his first, um, you know, maybe not his first, but uh, his first year starting at starting. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, let me toss it back to you, Scott. With the exception of offensive line that we've kind of covered here pretty quickly, what, what position battle are you most intrigued by, offense or defense? Go ahead and tell me why. <laughs> I'm intrigued with the running back position. Um, I, I, I see three running backs that, are capable of carrying the, the load for, for any NCAA team. Uh, I think that, you know, the bus is certainly proven that, that he's capable. Uh, Yearby, I think, comes in with excellent credentials. We really didn't see much out of him last year because of the injury and because of his status as the number two, solid number two behind Duke, uh, and not getting a lot of carries. I think that Yearby that can. Uh, evolve as a very good running back in this offense. He can catch the ball out of the backfield as, as he, he has uh, shown in flashes last season. And I'd like to see what they're going to do with Mark Walton. I think Mark Walton is obviously the 
highlight to, to this backfield, and I think that as he goes, this offense is going to go. I think that, that he is certainly the key to the backfield this year. I think he's going to evolve as a clear number one, uh, but it's, but they still need to get key contributions from from Gus and from Yearby. I think that Mark Walton's going to take over probably right after the first two games. I think you're going to see him evolve as the true number one back, sort of like Dalvin Cook did last year as far as and you didn't even mention uh, uh, Gray in there. Gray's, Gray supposedly is uh, looking really improved. So, yeah, running back is going to be pretty interesting. I agree with you there, Scott. Cam, what, what position are you most looking forward to? What position battle, I should say, are you most looking forward to and why? Um, I would just have to say the defensive line group as a whole. Um, I know that that takes into account – um, power ends and nose tackles and defensive tackles and rush ends. But I, I mean, we've heard that we, the players are better. They're stronger, they're faster, they have moves now, all these things. Randy Melvin's come in and he's increased the level of skill and dedication and drive to a man across that line. And I just want to see it. I want to see who steps up. Um, and I don't really care about the name. It could be Chad Thomas, it could be Trent Harris, it could be uh, Cortell Jenkins, it could be Jelani Hamilton for all I care, uh, who's been here for years and not realized his potential out of St. Thomas Aquinas that we all saw him have in high school. But across that line, at all of those positions, I just want to see who steps up. I want to see for the first time in a while that we have a line that is not just um, paper mache and, you know, playing patty cake and not able to do anything, but we have players up there that can impact games in a two-gap or a one-gap or whatever system that we're running. I just want to know that we have guys up there that can do the job and do it to a high level across the board, man-to-man. And I'm going to kind of steal your thunder here, Cam, and I'm going to say I I agree with you, and I'm going to focus specifically on the defensive tackle. Um, Now, I just put out, uh, and I'm going to shamelessly plug it here, I just put out the defensive tackle preview this afternoon. So I, I've been looking at those guys all day, so maybe that's factoring in to my, my answer here. But I want to see among the group of uh, uh, of Calvin Herkelou, Michael Weish, uh, Cortell Jenkins, uh, Anthony Moten, and uh, the, fer- the freshman Kendrick Norton, uh, I want to see somebody show up out of that group. And, 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 you know, I'm really looking forward to that. You mentioned it. Uh, I want to see them play more one-gap attacking. I want to see somebody in that group be a guy that disrupts the line of scrimmage, that gets into the backfield. Uh, you know, Miami was 97th in the country last year among Division One schools in tackles for loss. That can't happen again if they're going to, you know, come close to turning the corner this year. And I want to see somebody at that group. Uh, you know, Weish came in with a lot of hype, another Juco guy. He had an Achilles injury. Uh, he wasn't in the best conditioning. Uh, I want to see if he can be an impact player. If not him, I really like Jenkins. And I really like Norton, too, as a true freshman to get some to get some run. So, you know, somebody out of that group, one or two guys has to emerge and be something of a force. And you talk about, you know, guys like AQM and Chad Thomas and – um, you know, some of the other talented defensive ends they have, they're going to be surrounded by talented players. So there's no reason why, you know, they shouldn't be able to at least benefit some from, from some of the players around them that will get extra attention. So that, for me, that's the biggest position battle I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm going to kind of transition nicely from, from that conversation um, to position battles we want to look at. 
to, to another question that may have, you know, some repeated answers, um, but we're going to go with it anyway. Scott, we'll start with you again here. What position are you most concerned about on the entire Hurricane roster? What position, you know, worries you in terms of depth or, or talent? Um, I think that the secondary, I think, is, is going to come along. I think that's going to evolve. I think that the, uh, the the defensive front is going to evolve. I think the linebackers are going to be where they, they have the, the, the biggest pressing need uh, for starters and, and for attention. Uh, you know, we lost Armbrister and we, and we lost Perriman. We've got Jermaine Grace coming back, and we've, we've got Rafael Kirby ready to step up. But I just don't see a lot of depth in that position. And, and I know that, that D'Onofrio likes to rotate six or seven linebackers per game, and I just don't see that type of depth coming in, especially early in the season where they're going to be able to go and, and, and have some proof positive there. Uh, they didn't have a solid year recruiting at the linebacker position. Uh, they're going to be able to use Richard McKenzie from Cardinal Gibbons, but I think he's more of a defensive end. Uh, who can play at the stand-up linebacker position. Uh, but I, I just don't see that happening in their scheme. I, I think he, he's more of a, of a hand-in-the-dirt kind of guy. Uh, and I just don't think that they recruited all that well at that position. Uh, and I think that uh, they're really going to need some depth there or they're going to have some tired players. Yeah, that's, and that's interesting um, because that, that's another thing. I, I didn't even know they'd moved a couple players um uh, to linebacker, um, they moved. Um, gosh, the kid's name is uh, on the tip of my tongue. They moved one of the guys that was a, a freshman defensive end last year to linebacker. Um, gosh, it's going to kill me now. But yeah, I mean, they're 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 really. I mean, last year they moved David Njoku, who was recruited as an H back slash tight end, to linebacker for a couple days. Uh, there's definitely a pressing need there for depth. Mike Smith is who I was thinking of. Mike Smith was, you know, I, he's. 220, 230 guys, so maybe, you know, that was the plan all along. But for my knowledge, he was a, a defensive end in high school, and they moved him to linebacker um, supposedly this spring. And I didn't even know about that until I started looking around and, and looking at uh, yeah. some of the depth charts. So, um, you know, they're, they're really looking to do that. Go, go ahead. If you if you remember last year, they moved Walter Tucker to, to linebacker as well. That's and right. They playing him both way, and they were playing him both ways for a little while. And that was when they had Perriman and Armbrister, and they had some some solid depth at the position. Uh, now yeah. that they don't have the depth, you know, and they're they're taking lesser guys. When you're reading about a guy like Mike Smith, who is is changing positions, if you have to worry about Mike Smith getting into a ball game, then you got a big problem. Yeah, and I mean, and, and another thing that we didn't mention along the linebacker, you know, Tyreek McCord's kind of been that hybrid guy, and it seems like he's going to be playing standing up exclusively this year and I to me that's you know McCord's been maybe not consistent but he's been one of the best pass rushers the program's had over the past you know three years so you know moving him exclusively to linebacker means that they're they're I think they're trying to shore up that spot uh Cam I what position like McCord is McCord better I actually like McCord better as an outside linebacker uh I didn't like him with the hand in the dirt because I thought he was two steps away from getting to the quarterback and he was pretty good at getting to the quarterback, but I, I thought that he would need some additional time to get that outside move. And I think that if, if they if, if they go to their traditional one gap uh, uh, this season, I, I think that he's going to be able to, to take advantage of that with the defensive end coming off the edge. Um, I actually I actually like the move. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that it can't work out. I, I just, I just wonder, you know, and of course I'm speculating here that, you know, was it done for strategic purposes exclusively, or was it done because of depth concerns? Maybe a little both. Um, but you know, um, we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. I wanted to ask Cam the same question. Cam, other than maybe linebacker, which we kind of covered here pretty thoroughly, what what position are you most concerned about heading into fall? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, due to depth concerns and things, linebacker, and I'm not going to, you know, just belabor the point anymore because you guys really did hammer that uh, pretty well uh, for the last couple minutes. But outside of that, um, I mean, really, um, I want to see what's up with the wide receivers. And I'm not talking about from – uh, a depth or a talent standpoint. I'm talking from a production standpoint. So maybe a little bit of twisting the question because, I mean, like, if we're being real, the answer for everybody is linebacker. That's where the depth problems are. That's where the talent, you know, thing is. That's going to be the, the one thing that everybody's going to look at. But for me, wide receivers, we have all this talent across the board um, at all the positions, slot, X, Y, Z, you know, all of them um, tied end also as a pass catcher. Um, and they are very unproven. Um, just like we, you know, talked about many a time, Phil Dorsett, first-round pick, uh, Clive Walford, third-round pick, uh, those guys are gone. Duke Johnson, third-leading receiver, he's also gone. Um, and somebody is going to have to catch those passes. And we have a premier top, you know, 15 national quarterback uh, in Brad Kaya as a sophomore, and we can't – or I would like to lean on his skills uh, to be able to help lead this team. Um, and, you know, like a lot of people say, uh, and I actually just read this line in the new Smart Football book, which you should get if you haven't gotten it, um, by Chris Brown, um, you throw the ball to score points and you run the ball to win. And I want to see where Kevin Beard has come in to make this talent stand up a little bit more, get Stacey Coley back to his All-American level of uh, status of playing. Malcolm Lewis was a high school All-American uh, out of Miramar. Braxton Berrios was an All-American um, Lawrence Cage is a true freshman. You look up and down, we have super talent at the receiver spots, and I want to see us take that talent, take that depth, and turn it into catches, turn it into the yards, turn it into touchdowns. Hey, Cam, while we're on the topic of wide receiver, I, I'm sorry, let me just ask a quick follow-up question. I'll, I'll, I'll get right back to you, Scott. Uh, while we're on the topic of wide receiver, uh, your buddy and one of my favorite guys to read outside of, you know, obviously our own blog, um, um, Mentioned, um, I, I'm sorry, I'm 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 drawing a blank here today, but uh, Tyre Brady is a guy that was talked about um, a lot um, coming in to UM. Is he a sleeper prospect? Do you think Tyre? Do you think he can make an, an impact this year, or do you think he's going to be buried behind guys like um, you know Coley and and obviously Rashawn Scott and so on and so forth? I I think that everybody, with maybe the exception of a Daryl Langham, maybe the exception of a Lawrence Cager, just because he's so young coming in. Uh, I think that all the other receivers, well, and Damari Jones, who is not a Miami-level player and needs to not be on my field ever, like get off my team. Uh, and I'm just being real with it. He comes in the game, things go wrong, get off my field. Uh, but with those three exceptions to the wide receiver core, I really think that everybody has the chance to step up and earn a spot in, you know, the top six rotation at wide receiver, including Tyree Brady, who – I thought was in a red shirt, but he started the FAMU game last year, and he played in three other games and did not get any stats. But since he checked into the game and played, uh, you know, uh, in the offense, he was unable to red shirt. Um, but, yeah, I think that he has the opportunity. So, too, does Rashawn Scott, Stacey Coley, Malcolm Lewis, um, Braxton Berrios, and I'm probably forgetting a couple of guys, honestly. 
but there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of players who could step up, and Tyree Brady is one of those guys. Whether he does that or not will be, uh, remain to be seen. And let, let me clear up that incomplete thought that I introduced. Uh, <laughs> it was Peter Rees over at Keen's Insight that I read uh, that had, like, a oh, lot yeah. of really – Pete does a lot of recruiting stuff, and he had a lot of good things to say about Tyree Brady. So I, I, And I've seen – uh, some clips of him in practice, and you know, he, like you said, he got some cups of coffee last year playing. He looks a little lanky to me, but he looks pretty smooth for a lanky guy. And uh, you know, they're, they've been trying to get that big time uh, red zone target for a while now. So maybe he'll be the guy, or or Cager doesn't Richard, maybe he'll be the guy. I, I think to me, the wide receiver position, you know, uh, Mission A is getting Coley back to his All American form. Uh, Mission B is getting Rashawn Scott. Uh, to stay healthy, and then you got a bunch of guys that are in the middle that are all productive players like Herb Waters and so on. But uh, I'm really curious to see how among KG, Brader, you know, Cager, Brady, Langham, which one of those guys that are sort of on the back end of the depth chart, which one of those guys emerges, if any of them. Uh, I'm sorry, Scott, we got sidetracked there. You wanted to say something about the wide receiver position? Well, I think going hand-in-hand with the wide receiver position is the tight end position. I think Cam brought up the fact that we lost Clive Walford, who was such a big part of the offense last year. The question is whether or not David Nielko or or, um, Stan Dobart or Chris Herndon are going to step up and actually assume that role this year. Uh, You know, the the Canes like to throw that tight end screen. They like to throw the bubble out to the tight end. They like to use the tight end as a check down. And that's Brad Kaya's bread and butter play. And the question is, is, is somebody going to be able to handle that this year? Is Bill Barr going to be able to come in and pick up where Clive Walford left off? You know, Clive was one of the best tight ends in UM history, and, and he just ate up the yardage last year, and he was the big red zone target that you just talked about, Jerry. And the question is, is, is Kaya going to have that again this year? And I think that's something that really remains to be seen. You know, I've gone back and forth with some people on on, on social media about Dobard. Um we only saw him a little bit last year as a receiver. But if you go back and watch, he was a very, very productive and, and consistent blocker. And I thought the couple of times we saw him as a receiver, he looked really good. It's just holding on to the ball is going to be the key. If they can work on that with him. And most of the times when a young player fumbles a couple of times, it's something that can be corrected, either how they're holding the ball or just concentration. I, I kind of feel... I feel like I'm in the minority here, but I feel really good about Dobard going into this year. I, I, I like his potential. I like his talent. He's not going to be as good as Walford was last year, obviously, but I, I think he's got a chance to be a really good player. Um, and I, I think, I think, I think Dobard's got a shot. Yeah, Rashad Scott, definitely. I mean, the whole thing with him is staying healthy. I, I mean, we've seen what he can do a couple of years back. Um you know, he's one of Stephen Morris's favorite targets. But with him, it's always an injury question. If he stays healthy, I think he's either the number one or the number two with, with Coley. So, that will be pretty I want to see them split. I'd like to see them split Coley out wide and put Berrios in the slot and and have uh, Cager or Malcolm Lewis or somebody on the other side and then have a true XYZ uh, that I, I think will be, you know, among the fastest in the country. I think you put those three out there, I think they're going to be very difficult to contain. And I think that when you have a backfield like we talked about earlier, I think that the offense has a chance to be, to be very productive. Well, two things for me before I, I, I switch gears here. One, don't bubble screen Stacey Coley to death. 
but let him let him get downfield some, you know, let him run his route tree. But let's see if he can be a star as more than just a guy that you just think can run after can run with the ball in his hands. Let's see if he's a true wide receiver. And two, I think Herb Waters is underrated and he's often forgotten. It seems like they like to put him in the game during trash time and he gets like six or seven catches. I, I you know, and Berrios is awesome too, don't get me wrong. But I wanna see Herb Waters a lot a lot. I think he's got a little more speed, definitely a little more size than Berrios. Um I, I, I wanna see Herb Waters get a chance to, to blossom. But I I'll I'll, I'll stop uh, you know, for talk there. Uh, I, I hear again. you with that. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna uh finish or I, I get that. My thing is I would like whoever earns the time to be out there. And whether that's uh, Herb Waters, who I mentioned a list of receivers three times and didn't say his name, uh, and that's my fault because I should know better. Um, if it's him and it's Cager and it's Tyree Brady as our top three, then fine if they go out there and they execute. Uh, or if it's Casey Coley, Malcolm Lewis, or somebody else, I don't care as long as they earn it. And it's not just, okay, we're trying to get guys out there put the best guys out there, and by the best, they've earned it and they've demonstrated it in games and in practice. Yeah, and they do things like, I mean, an underrated part of uh, Dorsett's, like, breakout year last year was that he was making big blocks downfield, too. He wasn't just catching 40-yard, 50-yard bombs. He was getting out on Duke Johnson's 90-yard touchdown run and throwing key blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, to me, is something that we got to see who, who's doing stuff like that because, you know, they if the offensive line – is coming along slowly. They might be running the ball a little bit more until those guys get, you know, gel. Uh, and it might, you know, it might be a difference between Mark Walton or Joe Yearby breaking a 20-yard run or a 50-yard run. You know, it, it, it's a lot. I, I agree with you, though, Cam. That's what I'm getting at here. Whoever is producing is who we have to lean on. Um, now, Cam, and I'll throw this back to you, Scott, in a minute. Uh, I know you're – I don't want you to give too much away because I know you're working on the article about safeties. But I want you to give me a little – a little preview of that, and tell me what you think about the safety position. It's to me, it's one of the deepest positions on the roster. What what battles are you looking forward to, and and maybe who's a guy we have to look out for that we're not thinking about? I, th- I think that it's the deepest position on the team, um, or the position group, uh, the safeties. There's a lot of talent uh, out there, um, led by Deion Bush, who I think has the potential to be, you know, a second, maybe third round draft pick uh, with his combination of uh, size and skill and apparently we're going to be running him out there at nickel cornerback a little bit, kind of inverting what we did with Ladarius Gunter from last year, who was a cornerback, but we put him at free safety in some of the nickel packages. We're going to do the same thing uh, with Dion. So, you know, he's there. Rayshon Jenkins is back, hopefully healthy. Uh, Jamal Carter, um, you know, he's a beast, and he's, you know, maybe the most chiseled guy on the roster. He's an absolute physical freak. Maybe, you know, he comes in, Jaquan Johnson, the franchise is his nickname, four-time all-day first-team performer in high school, uh, a legend at every level of football from optimist through high school in Dade County, one of the best prospects at that position. Not an overwhelming uh, person or player when it comes in terms of measurables. He's five foot eleven. He's 180 pounds, so he's not necessarily gigantic or fast. You know, he's like a force six, four, seven guy, uh, but he plays the position of safety really well, uh, and he's just always been a dynamic kind of a leader. So when you look at that, um, and I'm probably forgetting somebody, again, sorry about that, um, but, you know, well, there, the there's a, I could a, think of that you left out, that. Cam, was, uh, was uh, Dallas Crawford, who I think there we all can agree is going to be towards the back end of that group, despite the fact that I love him as a football player. 
I think the guy right. you mentioned, they're significantly more talented. So, yeah, sorry, no, and I, I agree with that. So I think that we uh, there's a lot of talent there. Uh, and I don't necessarily think that there's one guy that is under or overlooked or underrated. I think that it's really, again, just like I was talking about with receivers, seeing which of these high-level players steps to the forefront and really leads the position group. All right, let me throw it to you for a second, Scott. Same topic, but first let me start with a, a different type question. If you had to pick two safeties to be your starters, uh, tell me who you'd pick, and then tell me, you know, give me a general overview of your feel on the position. Well, the first thing that I would do is if I was coming in with a clean sheet of paper and I was coming in as a new coach and I was looking at this defense, I would want to build my I would want to build my my defensive backfield around Jaquan Johnson. I think that that Cam is absolutely right about him having the intangibles and him having the ability to play at this level. I think that that he comes out of uh, a successful college football program that has been good for years, and I think he knows how to play the game. I think that uh, he's going to be able to come in as a freshman and start uh, I think he's going to play right away. Uh, I like Jamal Carter. Um, I like Deion Bush back there. Uh, you know, if I look at the secondary y- unit as a whole, uh, my my biggest question mark is Tracy Howard. Is what is Tracy Howard going to bring to the table this year, and which Tracy Howard is going to show up? From what I understand, he's been working his tail off in the weight room, and he's been working uh, in track in the off season and he's going to, he's he's going to be coming back ripped and I really think that he needs to be able to come back to where he was 2 years ago because we need him out there. Uh I think that the University of Miami needs Tracy Howard's energy, his enthusiasm and we need his charisma out on the football field. Uh let me uh say this too. Um Jaquan Johnson's a guy I've heard so much about. You mentioned charisma. You know, I've heard he's got, like, the charisma of Ed Reed, and he's kind of, like, got the Honey Badger skill set. So that's that's a tremendous combination, and he, he should be fun to watch even as a true freshman. Uh, to back up your point on the corners, uh, yeah, Tracy Howard, you know, you know, like, you watch film of him on the field, and then you watch film of him in practice, let's say, or, or just running a drill. And it doesn't seem like the same guy. I, I I just don't get it with him. Now, granted, I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack because last year it seemed like he just wasn't on the field as much as he was the year before. But maybe there's a reason for that too. He just seems like a smooth athlete. Um, he seems like he's got the hip swivel, you know, the back pedal, everything you want. If you built a prototype corner, you know, he, his physical – abilities would be the prototype for maybe a college corner at least. But the on-field production last year just wasn't there. So that that's interesting. To me, he should be the best lockdown corner on the team. And I'm really high on Artie Burns, and I'm especially high on Cornelder. Uh, I love the way Cornelder plays the game. I love the way he hits when he comes up in support. And I think he he's the prototypical slot corner. So I, I, I like those guys. But I think Tracy Howard should be the best of the bunch. But, yeah, to your point, though, I'm, I'm really looking forward to both of your guys' points. I'm really looking forward to watching uh, Jaquan Johnson play. Uh, let me talk I like back Johnson's partner. I like Johnson's partner, Sheldrick Redwine. I like Johnson's partner, Sheldrick Redwine. 
also in the defensive backfield. I think that uh, he's going to add a lot to the table as well. I think the two of them are used to playing ball with one another, and you know they they obviously grew up together. Uh, they both played together, I believe, at Miami Killian, and uh, I think that uh, you know he's gonna, he's going to get a lot of uh, playing time as well the, as as a, as a true freshman. He's going to be thrown into the mix, and he's gonna, he's going to get a lot of good reps early. It, there's definitely the potential for it because behind Howard, uh, Burns, and Elder, they're looking for that number four guy. Um, so I know Ryan Mays is in the mix. And Mays was redshirted last year. He's a true freshman last year that, that did well in spring. And, uh, you know, they're looking for, for a couple more guys at corner, and that's maybe why Deion Bush was moved there as well for, for nickel situations. Uh, but, Cam, let me throw it to you. What, what's your overall overview on the corner spots, and who do you think the two best corners are on the team? Two best corners on the team are um, Artie Burns and Tracy Howard. Um, I think that Cornelder is like just a half step below them. Um, but I, you know, again, just like the safety position, the top level, those three, they're very good. Or they should be. Um, and you know, full disclosure, you know, I, where I work, I've seen Tracy Howard, Jermaine Grace, Malcolm Lewis, Ryan Williams for years and years and years. Eugene Smith uh, over at Miramar High School and things like that. But uh, you know. I've seen him make plays for seven, eight years, you know, so it was really baffling to see how badly uh, he regressed last year, that being Tracy Howard. So, you know, maybe I, due to my proximity to his career throughout high school and college, maybe I have a little bit of a higher standard or a a better um, idea of who he is as a player than others do. Uh, But I really think that he can be, um, you know, uh, an all-ACC-level performer. Whether he gets there or not, that's another thing, but I think that he has that ability so those three, yeah, they really lead it. And then after that, it's really a grab bag. So it could be Redwine. It could be Michael Jackson out of Alabama who comes in as the number four. It could be Ryan Mays who, I mean, he has the frame uh, to be a dynamic defender, but um, color me skeptical having seen him in person a couple of times throughout his high school career, uh, that he's made that leap after one year. I could be wrong. It's happened before. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's really Howard and Burns are one are the, the starters to me. Uh, Elder is right behind them, very close. And then there's a big gap to wherever that next person is, which is why, you know, like I said before, we're going to slide uh, Deion Bush uh, into the slot sometimes just because we don't have that, you know, that next level of player at the cornerback position. And if somebody, if one of those three guys, the top guys gets injured, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle while a young player learns uh, on the fly. All right. I, I'm with you there. I mean, I corner corner depth worries me. Top end, uh, you know, I, I feel really good about. Uh, all right, guys, so before I change the subject, and we're going to talk about something a little kind of off the field but related to on the field in a second, uh, is there anything position battle-wise that either one of you, I'll start with you here, Scott, that either one, one of you uh, want to get to that we didn't cover, or are you good to go? Um, I'd, I'd like to see what uh, is going to happen at the place-kicking uh, position. I think that one of the problems that the Hurricanes had last year was they gave up field position too easily. Uh, Fogel, I thought, did a, a bang-up job uh, punting-wise, uh, but that was because of the way he places the ball as opposed to him getting off booming punts. Uh, his, his kickoffs lack. They don't reach the goal line. Uh, we don't put teams in their own quarter of the field, and it seems like they're starting at the 30, 35-yard line on, on every drive. And I think that I'd like to see 
Eric Semarine, uh, a freshman from Cypress Bay. I'd like to see him get it, a uh, strong look at, at at kicking off in, in fall camp. Uh, I know that, that he was away from the team in the spring uh, and was just coming back in, in, you know, towards the tail end of it. Uh, but I'd like to see if he's his weak strength improved enough to where he can kick off. I just think that uh, we need to work on uh, the return game and, and, and keeping opposing ball carriers on, on their side of the 20. All right, Scott. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and we need more dy- dynamicism, if that's a word, or dynamics out of our own return game, I think. I think Stacey Coley really uh, took a major step back as a returner last year to that point. Uh, Cam, before I'm going to ask you to do something uh, very descriptive in a second. Before I do that, though, anything else on the position battle front you wanted to talk about? Yeah, and I'm going to keep it really quick because I know it's not something that we really want to talk about, but I want to see uh, the development of Malik Rogier as a backup quarterback because, as we all know, backup quarterback is one play away from being the starter. Take that as you will. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything else. Boom. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that's I think that's something we're all fearful. <laughs> you know, we got uh, Jack Allison on the way uh, in a year, which is a nice transition on the topic that I want to talk about. And I'm going to start with you on this, Cam, because you're sort of our recruiting guru on the site. Um, for those who are not aware, uh, first of all, before I ask you what it is, let me say that uh, we had three players on UM sign grant and aid. Um, or, I, I don't even know if I'm using the right terminology. If they signed it or if they agreed to it or inked, I guess they, they inked it. it. Yeah, they, they signed grant and aid agreements. And uh, that was Michael Pinckney, um, of course, the talented quarterback Jack Allison, and then the really talented linebacker uh, Shaq Quarterman. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about those players with you a little bit more, Cam. Uh, but, but before, for those of us who aren't that familiar with it, myself included, I actually did some research this morning because somebody asked me what it meant. What is grant and aid agreement? Okay, the grant and aid agreement is something that is a contract between the university and the prospective recruit. If you remember last year, Dalvin Cook famously signed one of these with Florida, Florida State, and Miami um, last year. So what it does is it grants the school – I'm sorry, let's start this way. A grant and aid agreement guarantees the player a scholarship at that institution. So for those three guys, Jack Allison, Shaq Quarterman, and Michael Pinckney, the University of Miami cannot drop them and just say, oh, we're revoking your scholarship, whatever, you know, like happens in recruiting uh, battles. They are guaranteed a scholarship at our university should they choose to accept it. Now, for the university, what it does, um, and so that's a benefit to the player. They have security. They have signed it. Boom. And it is usually something that is signed by early enrollees, and all three of those players are on track to enroll in January. Now, for the institution, the university, whether it's the University of Miami, obviously our school or others, what it does is it allows the school and all of its personnel and coaching staff to refer to the player by name, okay, because they cannot actually do that otherwise. So if you notice, Al, Al Golden says, yeah, we're working on some guys or, you know, we have, you know, some commitments or blah, blah, but he has to use vague terminology because until they sign, they are not right. allowed to overtly say these players' names. And the University of Miami Athletic Department released the uh, 
the press releases yesterday for all three, and the coaching staff on Twitter, they were saying, oh, yeah, it's great to have, you know, this player, and they're throwing the names out there. So it allows them to use their name and likeness in recruiting purposes, and it gives them unfettered, unrestricted access to those players. So, um, like, I was on Twitter yesterday, and I saw Michael Pinkney had a tweet, and he said, yo, uh, I saw Coach called my phone last night, and I was thinking to myself, yo, you can't do that. But, oh, wait, I signed the thing, the GIAA, the Grand and Aid Agreement, so he can call me anytime. And that's a huge bonus because while other schools have to wait until September the 1st to really engage uh, where they can contact the player and the player does not have to contact them first, University of Miami, we can call Zach Allison anytime, 24-7, Shaq Quarterman, Michael Pinckney. So it gives us so much more of a connection in the recruiting process, um, both for visibility and uh, connection, that it's really, uh, it is really an amazing kind of a, uh, an advantage that we have. Now, the downside to that is a player can, is able to sign multiple grant and aid agreements, i.e., like Dalvin Cook did with multiple institutions. However, right. it, it, then it, it gets kind of murky after that, but long story short, it's a very good thing. Those three guys are locked in. I mean, as locked in as you can get in recruiting. They could potentially go somewhere else, but right now it's very, Miami is in a very, very, very strong position with all three of those guys. I, I think, uh, and I've only had the, the privilege of talking to one of them, I think Allison is as solid a verbal as you can possibly be. Uh, um, the last time I talked to him was last year. I, we did a Q&A on State of the U, and I talked to him on Facebook. And, um, you know, we did the Q&A over the phone. He, he had me sold that he has no intention of looking anywhere else but Miami. So I, I feel really strong about that. I don't know as much about picking his quarterman. I've never actually spoke to those kids, but I, I, you know, to your point, it's probably a pretty good sign, um, you know, with the exception of a guy like, you know, Cook that signed three of them. If these guys only signed one, you could pretty much sign two and deliver them. So it, it feels right. it feels that way to me. It feels that way. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, before I, I kick it over to Scott and get his thoughts on this, um, just real quick, Cam, for anybody that is not following these high school guys as much as you may be, uh, can you just give us like a brief sentence or two about each player? Jack Allison is the quarterback of the future. He is the reason that last year's quarterback recruit, uh, recruit Dwayne Lawson, he is the reason he dropped and flipped to Virginia Tech. Jack Allison is All-American. He has an absolute cannon for an arm, six foot five, 200 pounds, um, and he's going to sit behind Brad Kyer for a year, uh, and then he's going to challenge Malik Rozier or anybody else on the roster for a starting spot as a redshirt freshman probably in a couple of years. Shaq Quarterman is um, the truth at linebacker. He's six foot one, 231 pounds. He's a competitive weightlifter at his school up in Jacksonville. I believe he's a two-time state champion in weightlifting, competitive weightlifting, uh, and I think that uh, he's put up big numbers. I don't know them off the top of my head, but it's in the four and 500-pound range for all kinds of different lifts. Uh, so he's very strong. He's a very competitive, very fiery player, uh, and he hits very hard. Uh, his Twitter name, you know, not his at name, but his little title is Beeson2, as in John Beeson, who was a star for Miami in the past. So that's a good thing. Also, uh, Michael Pinkney from Jacksonville, six foot one, two hundred and twenty-five, two hundred, or yeah, six foot two, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. Another uh, physical linebacker. He wears number eight for his high school. Um, and just like Shaq is going to come in uh, and really compete. Uh, well, I think that he can play uh, both inside and outside. Um, I think Shaq is a 100% inside backer. 
Uh, Michael's an outside backer. But of the three linebacker commitments, I would rank them. Shaq Quarterman, number one. Zach McLeod from Santa Lucia's High School. That's where Vince Wilfork went to school. He would be our number two. He's being recruited by everybody in America because he's six foot two, two 220 pounds, outstanding outside backer. And then Michael Pinkney would be third. And don't let the fact that he's third fool you. Michael Pinkney is a very, very good player. Right, right. Yeah, I've heard the most about Quarterman uh, uh, of, of all the linebacker recruits we have. I've heard really good things and, and watched a little bit of his uh, YouTube highlights and been impressed. And the YouTube highlights of Allison, if you haven't watched them, okay, you can watch the 7-on-7 seven seven stuff all day long and, and enjoy that, but watch his actual Palmetto High School highlights, even going back to his sophomore year, and the kid looks like, you know, and this is unfair to say, but just looks like a very young Peyton Manning or something. I, he's, he just puts it on the guy's chest every time. 30 yards downfield, 50 yards downfield, doesn't matter. So I'm excited about Allison. Scott, let me kick it over to you. How psyched or, or, or unsyched are you about these grant aid agreements um, and, and what's your overall thought process on, on the news from yesterday? Um, it really doesn't mean anything to me. Um uh, I, I'm not a big believer in the recruiting process. You know, uh, you and I have had these discussions off air, and I, I, and I'm, I, I've written columns on them. Some of them you've printed. Some of them you've totally rejected. Uh, so you know my <laughs> thoughts on recruiting. Um, I, I just believe that when the, the grant and aid is signed, it's a step in the right direction. But when the national letter of intent is signed, that's when I'll get excited. Um, I believe that, uh, you know, when you look at a guy like Dalvin Cook who signs three grant and aid agreements, you know, that just tells me that uh, the player really hasn't made up his mind and he's leading three schools uh, by the, you know, the, the, the short hairs to, to continue to compete for his services. And until I see a, a national letter of intent sign, I really don't get excited one way or another. Uh, because there's really no honor in recruiting. There's no honor in the word commitment. Uh, verbal commitments are um, worthless, in my opinion. You know, until National Signing Day, when it's reduced to a writing, it's 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 sort of looked at as a legally binding agreement. And until it's in writing and it's signed by both parties, it really doesn't mean anything. And I and I try not to get overhyped. I did that as as, as a younger fan and as a younger journalist and and as I got to learn these these kids more and more by covering them year in and year out I've learned that you know there really is no uh meaning behind the word commitment until it's actually signed in ink and I'd like to use this as a forum at some point to advocate for an early signing day you know, to where instead of signing grant and aid uh, letters, they can actually sign national letters of intent early, get it out of the way before the senior year. They know they don't have to worry about it, and they know that they're a done deal. And then you actually have a commitment that means something. Um, but I, I just see kids flip-flop too much, and it just doesn't mean anything to me. When when I see a kid, you know, throw up the U and he gets he gets all committed, you know, yeah, it's nice to see. It's, it makes for good Twitter fodder. But, you know, in, in, until I see it in writing, it just doesn't mean anything to me. I, and I didn't hear the last part of that, Scott, because I was actually going into the editorial state of the U and deleting your most recent article. <laughs> 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 it, it, it doesn't surprise yeah, me. 
you know, you know I'm, I'm used to my First Amendment rights being trampled. It, 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 it's okay. <laughs> we, we like to have fun here, folks. Uh, all, all five people that are probably going to be listening to this later when I put it up. Um, all right, so guys, that, that's all I really had. I, I wanted to get uh, back into the podcast. I think they're fun to do. You know, I joke about the amount of people actually listen to them, but we sometimes do get um, a decent amount of people that provide feedback and do like them. So we're going to get back into them. We're going to do, in the coming weeks, we're going to do a roundtable. We might get some more folks involved here. We're going to predict uh, how the season's going to turn out. We'll have a couple weeks of camp uh, to watch before we get to that. We'll make sure nobody gets hurt, hopefully not, and uh, see how things develop. So that's really all I had. Um, I just want to give you each a, a forum for any final thoughts you might have. If any, I'll start with you, Kim. Anything you want to add before we close it out? Um, you know, I'm I am cautiously optimistic for the season. Um, I know that it. If you listen to when I went on the the Beast London show uh, on the ticket Miami last week, uh, it may have sounded uh, you did a, that did a great I was, job on that. By the way, Cam, I, I listened to uh, that whole thing. You did a great job on that. Yeah, man. I mean, I appreciate it, you know, and it was great to have that opportunity. And, you know, I, I think that in the aftermath of that, because obviously I listened to the rest of the show and, you know, things as I was driving home, it, it maybe came across that uh, I was the one who was so enthusiastic. But they kept asking me, for for Kane's fans, what would be the thing that would get them hyped or what would be the thing for the defense or what would that hypothetical thing be? And then I gave them those answers. And then people are saying, oh, well, you're just a do boy. You're just a yes man. You just you think all these things. I said, no, no, no. I'm giving you the reasons why because they asked for, for people what would those reasons be. I don't necessarily think that I subscribe to all of those. Um, I, you know, I maybe am a little bit utopic uh, to steal a word from uh, HBO's entourage, you know. Uh, I would like to believe that the University of Miami is on the way back. I would like to believe that Al Golden is going to get a turnaround. I would like to believe those things. However, I do still need to see them. Um, so for all of you who have been coming at me on Twitter, either at Underwood Sports or at the State of the U, please relax and understand that I know that we are not where we once were when I was an undergrad and we were winning championships. I know that. I know that. I know that. But I hope and aspire for that. Um, but I will not believe that we're there until I personally see it. So there it is, the end. <laughs> Thank you, Cam. And I'll, I'll touch on a little bit of that later. I'm going to throw over to Scott, which, by the way, since I'm throwing some praise out there, Scott, I thought you did a fantastic job for the site AL.com covering uh, Coach Clark at UAB, completely non-related, uh, not related to anything Kane's related, but that's a subject that I've always uh, been a little touched by, the whole UAB thing. Uh, we can talk hours and hours about it. So I'm not going to go too deeply in that, but I just want to give you a nice job on that. Scott, any any final thoughts today? Uh, a few things. First of all, just to touch bases on Coach Clark, you know, every year I always have two teams that I follow and, and I try to have the Canes, you know, will always be number one in my heart. And then I try to adopt a second team that will, you know, will get my allegiance that year. And last year it was UAB. Uh, you know, they, they carry a soft spot in both of our hearts, Jerry. You know, you and I both know that. You know, we know what, what they've been going through out in uh, Blazerville. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're, uh, I just want to give a shout-out to everybody in, uh, you know, UAB family that uh, is going to be playing football in 2017. We're real glad that they came back. And it was a pleasure seeing Bill Clark and, and also Larry Coker, for that matter. It was good to uh, spend time with, with Coach Coker and talk about the, uh, the good old days. And speaking of the good old days, you know, I had the privilege 
of hanging out with Cam Underwood at Club Live at the Fountain View <laughs> Hotel. And he, he, he was the most styled, stylish journalist that there was in the building. My man was on fire. And uh, I just want to give a shout-out to my buddy and uh, let him know I was thinking about him. And uh, I enjoyed what he wrote uh, about the new uniforms for uh, State of the U on uh, the, the the Adidas event. And uh, he rocked. And uh, I think the, uh, the, the the whole night was a success. And I think it was just uh, it, it, it was a wonderful event that, that was that was enjoyed by everyone. I want yeah, to give man, a shout-out. So we're getting shout-outs. I'll get a shout-out to our whole staff at State of the U. You guys do fantastic work. You guys are multifaceted, as we've covered here, between covering Adidas, showing up on the B-Show, uh, covering UAB. We get a lot done here. And I hope uh, the people that are listening to this, if you're out there, uh, continue to listen to our podcast, continue to go to our site and, and check things out. And, uh, you know, maybe this year we'll have a lot of good things to report about. Maybe the team will surprise um, you know, uh, another site asked me to do a prediction on this team, and I sat there for literally 20 minutes scratching my head thinking, what's all right? I, I don't know if the team is going to go 6-7, and 6-6, six and, seven, six and six, uh, you know, 5-7, and 8-4, and 10-2. I, I really don't know. I've, and, and forget about years doing this uh, uh, blog. In, in years as a sports fan, I can seldom think of a few teams I've, I've had that I root for that I follow, that I've had less of a feel for than this team. It, it can go so many different directions. So at the very least, we're going to have a very interesting season, Canes fan. These could be interesting bad or interesting good. And, you know, if it, if it turns out bad, you might get your wish, uh, a lot of you out there, and, and get some big-time changes. If it turns out good, well, hey, it, it's it's a win-win. So that's all I have, fellas. I, I thank you, Scott. I thank you, Cam, for coming on. We'll be back uh, maybe next weekend, if not in a couple of weeks, and we'll we'll talk about the season. We'll make our own predictions. We'll have more time to think about it. Now, thank you, guys. Take it easy, Jer. Yeah, man, right, no problem. Uh, we'll see you guys. All right.